Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. All right. Welcome, Dr. Laura Froyan. Am I saying that right? Yeah, you got it. Nice work. Perfect. You have a PhD in human development and family studies with an emphasis in couples and family therapies, right? Yeah. Sounds like it fits us. It's a mouthful. (laughs) Yes. Sounds like that's what we need. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I told you a little bit about my story over email, but I mean, just to refresh the listeners so they understand why we're having you on. But we decided, what, three years ago now? Yep. To pick up and move from California, Southern California, where we were born and raised, have all of our friends and family and said, you know what, let's start new in Massachusetts with no help and growing kids. And after we got here, we discovered or found out that our son was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, which adds its whole other kind of group of challenges. And, you know, we're just feeling the effects of having to parent basically 24-7. And then you throw a pandemic in there as well with zero separation. And uh, we we feel it sometimes, right? Yes. I think sometimes <laughs> is definitely not the adjective I would have chosen. but Always. Always. <laughs> yeah. The heavy load of parenthood. Yeah. yeah. And having, you know, a exceptional kiddo too. It's a lot. Yeah. Yes. So you and I kind of connected through Clubhouse, which is a fabulous new app that unfortunately I don't have as much time to spend on as I'd like to. But, you know, I kind of talked about what my show's about and you came on and said, I'd love to be on. And I listened to your show and read about you on your website. And I said, this is a match made in heaven because we need help. And he came to me and he told me how excited he was. And I was like, yes, (laughs) that's a great idea. (laughs) I'm so glad we found each other then. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about like know what's going well and how I can help and support you. So basically, I think he kind of already explained we have zero help. Mm. So it's parenting between him and I 24 hours a day. I'm a teacher. So for my whole day, I spend all day reprimanding other people's children. Mm. (laughs) And then I have to come home and I have my children that I have to deal with. And we've got one obviously neurodiverse child and one neurotypical child. We're dealing with our daughter, our neurotypical child, just, I think, feeding off some of the anxiety of her brother. Not sure, wait, should I be scared of these things or should I not? We pay a lot of attention to Jacob, so my son. Yeah. Um, And I think she kind of feels the effects of that too. So I think we just, at the end of the day, are so frustrated that we are done and our patience is really low. (laughs) 
Really low. And you know, there's a lot of research too that for families who have a child with autism, that the couple relationship really takes a hit to a bigger hit than for parents in general. All parents have their their couple relationship suffer a bit in the first few years. But for kiddos who have some neurodivergence, those families find it even more hard, especially when you've got no help. Are there any respite programs that you can use to get a little bit of a break? Have you heard of respite programs? We haven't heard of those. There are some like community programs that we have been kind of pointed to, but with everything mm-hmm. going on, they aren't doing yeah, them. So, <laughs> Of course they aren't. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Yeah. And you're teaching. Are you teaching out of the home then? So your schools, are they open where you are? Right. Yes. My school is open. I'm face-to-face full-time. Wow. And so that's a lot. So dad's at home with the kiddos all day. And then you've been with kids all day, too. And then you come home and it's more and it's just full on. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was at home all day. I recently went back to work. I was called back to work after nine months of furlough. And so they're actually in school full time as well. So we do experience as parents our own little break during the day. But I think based on what Christine does for a living. Yeah. Kind of what I do for a living. And I've been working from home, kind of hybrid home, you know, and work, even though they're not here. But what I do for a living in security and emergency services and just dealing with that kind of whole S show, if you will, as it can be, that our patients run thin. And I'm just an impatient person anyway. I recognize that. I know it. I yell too much. I have no patience for anything. (laughs) And so when we have our alone time, which is that hour and a half or so before bed, We just want to have a glass of wine, watch our adult programming, maybe record a podcast or two. (laughs) And we just get constantly interrupted, which just makes the blood pressure go up. Then we end up, you know, kind of at each other a couple of times because we have differing parenting styles. And you mentioned that someone with a neurodiverse child kind of takes a toll on the relationship. And I saw that within my own family. My brother has an autistic son as well. And, you know, his marriage had some struggles. I feel like we're really strong. That really doesn't come between us. It's more about just I have my style, she has her style, and we disagree on them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's definitely something I can help you with. And the other thing that I'm thinking about, too, is that, you know, lots of times impatience comes from a narrowed window of tolerance. Have you heard of that term before? A window of tolerance? No, I haven't. You all can't see me, but I'm holding my hands together like they're an equal sign. Yeah, I see. Yeah, right? And so, you know, (laughs) when we're well-rested and well-nourished and have lots of time to take care of ourselves, our window is quite wide. And, you know, we can kind of handle the ups and downs of life really well, you know. And when we're stressed, not been getting enough sleep, perhaps we've not been eating very well, maybe we haven't gotten the movement that we need, emotions are high, we've got stressful jobs like you two have chronically stressful jobs that narrows our window of tolerance. And so things that we'd normally be able to just kind of roll with, like having a cranky kid, would normally when we're everything is going well would fall in that window and we could handle it. But when our window is narrowed, then the cranky kid falls outside the window. And that's when we snap and lose our patience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, one hundred percent. I think your window's shut. It's sealed <laughs> no, right? shut. It's frozen. <laughs> it's snowed <laughs> in. I cannot open yeah. the window. One hundred percent. I'm writing this so down <laughs> because next time I'm angry, I'm going to tell my kids, guys, my window of tolerance is very small at the moment. I need you to do what I say. Well, you know, and this is such a good like conversation to have with a family with the kids. Your kids are eight and ten, right? Yes. They're 100% old enough to understand this 
verbiage. And especially for your neurodiverse kid, their windows are often quite a bit smaller than a neurotypical kid. Just naturally, their window of tolerance is smaller. And so having this language, the shared language in the home of like, how's your window? Another good way that we talk about it in the disability community is spoons. I was just going to say, I've heard of spoons. Yeah. (laughs) So whatever language works best for your family, but this, you know, think taking a look at how can we widen that window of tolerance? How can we get more spoons into our kids' hands and into ours? And so one of the things that is so helpful for parents that I work with is a regular mindfulness practice. And a lot of people are intimidated by that when I say that out loud. (laughs) They think that they're going to have to sit on a cushion and meditate and think about nothing for 20 minutes. And that is not at all how I teach mindfulness. And you don't even have to do it for that long. I like loving kindness meditations, which are super simple and are guided. So you're just saying a loving, compassionate phrase over and over to yourself. Again, you're sending yourself love and compassion. You can send people you love, love and compassion. And it's a beautiful thing to do kind of proactively. So every day I spend five minutes, just five minutes, only five minutes with a loving kindness meditation. And then when the blood pressure starts to rise, (laughs) the window starts to narrow. That's when I put my hand over my heart and just, okay, may I be safe and protected. May I send love to myself and to my child. And that brings me back into like what I actually want to do with my kids. You know, these practices are soothing and research shows that they're soothing to the nervous system and they widen that window when we do it over time. And it doesn't take a lot of time each day. Five minutes a day is enough to see like an actual change in your brain. I really love that because every time I blow up, I have this moment afterwards of feeling like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to do that to my kids. That's not how I feel feel inside about them. And so I like that. Maybe I'll try that taking a couple yeah. minutes and saying, you know, take a deep breath. I, I tell that to Jacob all yeah. the time when he's frustrated. Take a deep breath. Let it in. Yeah. Let it out. Yeah. None of us want to lose it. You know, and our kids don't either. Like, you know, if we have a more difficult, challenging child, they don't want to lose it either. None of us do. None of us want to explode on the people we love. Right. Like that right. doesn't feel good to anybody. Yeah. So, you know, getting that pause, it does take practice. So if we want to be able to have the pause in the minute to kind of come home to like what we actually want to do with our kids, we have to practice getting that pause outside of the moment. You know, just like if you were going to go and I was like, go run a mile right now. And you haven't run since you did the mile in gym class in high school, it would be really hard. But if you ran you know, every other day for a few weeks, you could probably do that. You know, it just takes practice. Yeah. I guess I should say to all the listeners out there, we're painting this terrible picture that I'm some mean guy and yelling at the kids all the time. You just, you just don't have any patience. Right. And I lose it very quickly. I'm pretty sure I'm neurodiverse as well, just never diagnosed because it wasn't (laughs) a thing when I was a kid. So I think my son and I struggle, but I want everyone to know we are on this fabulous adventure together. Kids are well provided for, get everything they want. We have a good time 90% of the time. It's that 10 percent of time where the window's yeah. very small. And I think it's because, like you said, there's just a lot of stressors involved with everything. The kids are stressed too. This is a weird time for them. Pandemic aside, just moving across country with no friends or family, it's been a weird transition for them that really hasn't been normal yet. Right. We moved schools because we bought our house versus renting when we first got here. And then the pandemic hit. So school's been weird ever since. They've never had a moment to kind of settle in. Mm. And neither of us, really. I mean, the job I took when we moved out here, I switched into a new job (laughs) and then got furloughed from that job for nine months. And there's been nothing consistent except for 
our family unit, I guess, the four yeah. of us. Yeah. And having each other to rely on, having this sense of a kind of we're a team, it's kind of us against the world, we can do anything together is so important. And then when there's disagreements about parenting, that it can be unsettling to that sense of like, we're a team, right? Especially it sounds like you two really rely on each other. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the differences and, and how I can maybe help with those a little bit? I think I am just a little bit more on the calm side. Mm -hmm. Maybe I let too much go sometimes. I probably should be a little harder on them. And then he is very much expects a high level of, I don't want to say perfection, that's not the right word, but no, I've got um, the answer. you've got your rules and you need to follow them pretty much. And so he'll kind of... yeah. I guess, get upset with what he expects of them. And I'm like, oh, but they're kids. And so I think we kind of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a director. I'm a leader in work, but I'm a different kind of leader. Like, I'm not a slave driver. I'm not mean. I think I'm very open to communication. I even have a leadership podcast where I talk about those different approaches. But one thing that's consistent in my day-to-day -day with my employees or my team is strive for excellence. So I have very unreal, mm -hmm. lofty, high expectations. And I carry that over to the kids, to my spouse, to the people in the grocery store, <laughs> to this podcast. I want it to be perfect. And so I think that's my neurodiversity kicking in that hasn't been undiagnosed. Is that I'm just very particular about everything and I like things the way I like them. And so mm -hmm. always having this higher standard of striving for excellence, if the kids mess up even the slightest little bit, it, it doesn't sit well with me. And you're much more, I guess, accepting of that. And well, I spend all it. day telling students that it's okay to make mistakes and we learn from our mistakes and how right. can we fix it? So for me, when my kids make a mistake, I'm more like, all right, we made a mistake. Let's learn from it. But for him, you know, our daughter spilt her milk for the 90th time this week. And he's like, I'm done. Why don't you know how to not spill your milk? You know, so yeah. it's kind of like that, I guess. Yeah, for me, it's been you've been trained to do this. It's important. Why aren't you doing it? And like yeah. this accountability that needs to be held that just comes from who I am and what I do, I guess. I mean, I know I'm blaming that and using my work as a crutch, but when you do it every day for 20 years, I guess it becomes <laughs> part of you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, John, I think that part of it is, too, that it's made you very successful, I, right? So, I hope it, so it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you've been relying on this trait of yours. It's served you well professionally and in your own life. And, of course, it makes sense that you would want that for your kids, too, that you see how much it served you. What Can I ask you a question about it, about kind of the perfectionism and the yeah. kind of getting it right? Absolutely. Where do you think you learned that? You know, like, I was just memories of it. I was just thinking about that when you said that. And you're looking at me like you might know. I'm not sure I know because I think I can speak openly about this. I was a mama's boy, 100%. My dad didn't really have much interaction with me, like show me how to tie a tie or any of those things dads are supposed to do. But I didn't really miss it, I guess. I didn't even think about it as a thing when I was a kid. But I have an older brother who was like very competitive, I guess, and was always, I can do this better than you. And I don't know if that's where it comes from. I really don't know. I mean, I have an idea. Can you tell me? Because I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I love so, it when partners know so much about each other. I please, love it. Please tell me because I don't know. So I feel like when you have diversity in your life, you can go one of two ways as you get older. You can either, that's how I've lived my whole life and I'm not going to change anything or I'm going to do the exact opposite of those things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like your family doesn't strive for that excellence. Not that they're terrible. They're great people. But I just mm, yeah. mean they don't expect more in each other than what they already see. They don't have ambition. They don't strive for more. And so I feel like maybe yeah, you. That's accurate. <laughs> 
are opposite because you don't want to be that way. Yeah, I guess to sum it up, I just really don't want to fail. Look, my biggest fear is Mm. not having food on the table, not having a house for my kids and having them experience their father or their life as a failure. So, you know, I'll just do whatever it takes to make sure everything's right for all of you. And maybe that comes from my previous failed marriage. I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) I'm messed up. I need therapy. I need you. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean... I personally, like, this is my bias. I think everybody should be in therapy at some point. I mean, we go to our doctor for yearly checkups. Like, why wouldn't we go for a yearly mental health checkup? Right. You know, but, exactly. but like, that's my bias. But so, yes, I think everybody listening should have a therapist at some point in their life or another. But, you know, it's interesting, the relationship we have with failure and success and who gets to decide what failure means and who gets to decide what success means. And I would imagine that if I asked you right now what your definition definitions of success were for yourself and what your definitions of success are for your kids, because this is what we want for our kids. Most people will say like, I want my kids to be successful. But what successful means is very different. And so I'm curious, have you had that conversation of what does success mean for me as a person? What does it mean for our family? And what does it mean for our kids? Like, what does it look like? Uh, We have not had it about what it means for the kids. I've had a goal in my mind to make you know, six figures before I was 40. That was like a goal in my head. And it's Mm -hmm. funny, I accomplished that goal and then felt like I needed to do more immediately. The only funny thing about those goals. (laughs) Yeah, it's so superficial. And I've kind of realized that now. And, you know, honestly, talking to a wall when I do my solo podcast has really helped me (laughs) do therapy with myself, I guess, about these things. And I think my number one goal for my kids is I just want them to be good people. I don't want them Mm. to be mean to anyone. I don't want anybody to hate them. I want them to go through life being a good person. That's my only goal. I see that as success for them. Yeah. Can I ask you a follow-up question to that? Yeah. So how does spilling milk relate to being a good person? (laughs) (laughs) No, legit question. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an excellent question. And I've actually thought about that. The way I see it and the reason why it makes my blood pressure spike Mm -hmm. is because I've told her so many times and it shows me that maybe she doesn't care to fix it because Mm -hmm. it's always carelessness that leads to it. It's not paying attention. It's flailing her arms. It's putting the cup next to the edge when I've told her a thousand times to move it toward the center of the table. To me, it looks like she doesn't care. And I guess that's a another success factor I want for them. I want them to be passionate about life and care. I want them to care. And that definitely comes from my family upbringing because I feel like some of them don't care. Uh Uh-huh. There it is. Wow. What does it... I know. This is great. (laughs) So what does it mean if someone doesn't care? That means they... To me, it means that they're lazy, I guess. They just don't... They're not taking the time to care about something Mm -hmm. that probably isn't that important. But to me, it is. (laughs) I'm not sure why. So, no, no, you're doing great. So this is what parent coaching is. So then the next question then is, how does someone learn to care? Well, I feel like they have to be taught. And I feel like that's what I'm doing when I get angry and tell them about it again, is that, you know, you need to care about this because, and I always explain why. Mm-hmm. Probably on how the did first- you learn to care? Oh, man, these are tough. It's good. It should be tough. Otherwise, <laughs> what's the point? I think I'm still learning, to be honest with you. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that happen, especially in my professional life, where I'm like, I don't care. I have very little empathy. Again, I think that's my neurodiversity. And she's shaking her head because it applies to her too. Like very <laughs> literal, very some things. It's not a, it's a non-starter for me. So I think I'm still learning to care, to be honest with you. I don't know that I know how. John, then it makes so much sense to me that that would be a really important trait 
for you to have your kids have. And if it's something that still as an adult you're working on, it makes complete sense that you would feel really strongly about that with your kids. Yeah. Wow. One of the things that we have to remember is that the way that, you know, that we think kids learn how to do things or how to care about things often is not actually how they learn. And I know I'm talking to a teacher here too. So <laughs> you know how this type of thing is not like a, you know, caring is not like a, a math skill or right. a reading skill, right? This is a social skill. And for the most part, social skills are learned through observation and modeling. Right. That's right. how we learn those things. And so believe it or not, with things like this, kind of how do we take care of the house, all of those types of things, they learn that through modeling and support as opposed to kind of coming from a place of being told you need to care about this. They need to be given the opportunity to care about it. So for example, my daughter is five and she was eating something, some kind of, I don't know, snack, some kind of like gummy fruit snacks. What are those called? Fruit snacks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she finished it and she dropped wrapper on the floor. And I said to her, like, huh, okay, I see that wrapper on the floor. What do you think could happen with that wrapper? And she looked down at it and she said, oh, well, somebody could step on it and it's pretty slippery so they could fall. I guess I should throw it away. And so she just picked it up and threw it away. You know, so giving them the opportunity to kind of question. So like when you see the cup on the edge of the table, rather than telling her to move it, saying like, oh, hey, kiddo, I noticed that cup's on the edge. And remember last time what happened when it was on the edge? Yeah, it fell. Like, we don't want that to happen. What should we do? And let her solve that problem for herself teaches the noticing skills. Because first, she's got to notice that the cup is on the edge. I'm guessing yeah, that yeah. she's not totally being like, I'm going to spill this milk again. Look, dad's <laughs> going to get so mad. No. How, like, did, <laughs> how did you, you know? know? She is like, definitely not. No, it's mostly just being clueless, like you said. <laughs> we and tell her she's lucky me. she's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, and they just need a chance to be taught how to think in that problem-solving way. It's taught to think in that noticing, like, ooh, I'm noticing this. So even just like saying out loud what you see, like just say what you see, can help clue them in like, oh, I see that too. That's a problem. I got to go fix it. And then they take the steps to fix it themselves. I really love that. I think I may have tried that a thousand times ago, but last night Christine <laughs> even laughed because I was just staring out the window at the snow and I just like grabbed the cup and moved it. I didn't even say anything. I saw it on the edge out of the corner of my eye. I grabbed it and I moved it. And then she took a okay. drink and I did it again. I just grabbed it. <laughs> she put it right back where it was. <laughs> Move it again. But okay. So one other trick. How old is she again? She's eight. Okay. So one other trick can be, have you ever used those like little loop loom things? Yeah. Oh, do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So you could have her do one of those to make a little coaster for herself where she always puts her cup. There you so go. a little coaster can be a really nice, I like that. just like, oh, it's not on the coaster. And then you can just say coaster. Like one word can also be really helpful. Just yeah. like coaster. I'm liking this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Problem solving is what they need. Yeah. They don't have that. <laughs> I think, yeah. And I think maybe, like I said, I, I think I may have given up on that <laughs> a few times ago, unfortunately. But that's my own problem with patience is like, I'm just tired of hashing it out. So I just move it yeah. myself. Yeah. And the other thing you can do with a situation like this that is like constant and all the time, rather than trying to solve the problem in the moment with her when she's distracted by probably the delicious dinner that you've made for her, is to have that problem solving conversation some other time when you're not in the situation where it's happening. So like my kids like to do problem solving conversations on a drive in the car because then, I don't know, with older kids, sometimes it's nice when you don't have to look at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not that I don't like looking 
picking up my kids, but sometimes we have better conversations, you know, I right. don't know. Or like out on a walk is a good time. And then you can just say like, hey, I've been noticing recently that it's been hard to keep your cup from falling off the table. What's up with that? You know, how can I help you make sure it stays in the center of the table? And then just go from there and see what they say. There might be a lot of good solutions, like perhaps like she just wants to have a water bottle at the table instead of a cup or, you know, whatever it is. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's funny you said that. That adds to my anxiety as we've transitioned from the cup to where she really likes to have a glass now. And mm. I really don't want to be mm-hmm. picking up shattered glass with the milk. So I try to really yeah. try to keep it from the edge. <laughs> well, and I've told you yeah. I don't drink at my meals. I'm a really strange person because when I was younger, it was the same for me. And so my parents gave me a cup of milk and it was on the kitchen counter and I couldn't have it till I was done. Interesting. And because so you now, knocked it over too. Interesting. Oh my gosh, I was so bad. So now I just, I don't even have a drink at my meals anymore because I'm so used to having it after. Have you told her so, that story about you and the milk? I have. I think she's like, oh, well, mommy did it too. So it's fine. Yeah. That, that, that's definitely her personality. <laughs> It's so fun. I hope I'm helping you oh my gosh, at least so a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like this has been the John's parenting mishap show. So do you have anything you want to cover specifically to you? I mean, no, it's mostly I feel like when I fall apart is because you've fallen apart and now I have to fix them mm. having fallen apart or you're yeah. getting upset with me because I'm not falling apart with you. Yes, that's <laughs> something that happens for sure. So I think that's kind of where I get stuck in the middle is that like now I have a crying kid and an upset husband and I'm like, oh. I'm not sure. I don't want to like go rush to the kid because I don't want him to think that I don't support his parenting. I don't want them to think that I'm saying it's okay what daddy did. Like we're not going to listen to daddy. Like I don't want to do that. So I kind of just sit there and then he yells at me like, why are you sitting there? (laughs) Because I don't know what to do. Oh, wait. So go ahead. Ask John, like, what do you want me to do when that happens? Ask him right now. Yeah. What do you want me to do when that happens? (laughs) I'm looking for an ally. I want you to fall apart with me. Yeah. Because like I said, what they're doing, like, for example, this happens nightly. I've told my son, he's the neurodiverse when he's 10, a thousand times, do not go into your sister's bedroom. He doesn't like to be alone. That's part of his issues. He likes Mm. to go say goodnight. And so he goes in there and he'll bother her and she has a hard enough time falling asleep. So I've literally told him, Dr. Laura, I have told him a thousand times over this pandemic, probably, (laughs) probably every night. I'm not exaggerating here. So almost a year of telling him this, don't go in there. I can't stress to you enough, don't go in there. We try to be a little lax with the punishments because they've got a lot going on right now. And I don't want to yeah. take away his phone or whatever the case is because they really rely on that for the their, only thing they have. their sanity. So we can't stick to a punishment. And so I just tell them over and over again. And it comes to the point where I know you're upset because this is our time. And it's interrupting our glass of wine, or our TV show or whatever. And I really get upset when it interrupts our recording because I'm also the editor. And it just <laughs> now that I'm back to work, I don't have time for it. So it's all these stressors piling up. And so I'll lose my mind and yell and threaten to take something away. And she's just sitting there calm, like twiddling her thumbs, like I'm going to let you go through this. And I want her to be as passionate about it as I am. Kind of like I said, I want my kids to be passionate about stuff. I want them to care. I just want you to care as much as I do about this very minor thing. It's <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Too. It bothers me because... Because I know she has a very hard time falling asleep. Mm-hmm. So when he goes in there and says goodnight, it works her up. And she's like, get out of my room. She gets upset. 
And so now she's all worked up. Do you guys feel like you have a clear understanding of what his concerns are about the kind of going into the sister's room at night? Like why it's so hard for him to stay out of sister's room? I think part of it is he needs to have his routine. And his routine is to say goodnight to everybody. So he goes into her room and says goodnight to her. And then he goes into the bathroom and goes to the bathroom. And then he comes downstairs and says his specific words to us to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then he goes upstairs and goes to sleep. Yeah, it's just part of his schedule. And so I think we understand what it is, but I don't understand it, if that makes sense. (laughs) No, 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 I totally get it, though. Okay, so then, like, I have one kiddo who does not have a diagnosis, but has some differences, has some stuff going on for her. And the method that I use is called Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. You can go to the website livesinthebalance.org. It's a free website. They've got great books too. Ross Green is the author. His book is called The Explosive Child. But basically, it just teaches you how to have problem-solving conversations with your kiddo. It's a nonprofit, so the website is free. It's got tons of great information on it. But basically, what I would do with your son, I would sit down you know, and just say, hey, we've noticed you've been having difficulty saying goodnight to your sister before X time. So I need to get really clear on what your expectation is because you understand he needs to be able to say goodnight to sister, right? You yes, understand that. Absolutely. And probably sister wants him to say goodnight, but we don't want him to interrupt, you know, so you do have to get super clear on like when is the deadline for him to say his goodnight to sister. Yeah. yeah. And then figure out why he's not able to meet that expectation. And it's possible when you sit down to actually figure out what the deadline is you might realize like, oh, he probably doesn't know what the deadline is. Right. And oftentimes when we come up against these things, we realize that we as the parent haven't been 100% clear in what the expectation is. Like, do you know, like, what is the time that he needs to say goodnight to sister beforehand? Well, he has to be down here at 945. That's his time. So no, I not... meant for her. Like, when is oh, his like, last what chance is her for her threshold? Gosh, yeah, like when she's like... normally asleep. Well, probably it's like 930. That's yeah, when she say does about 930 thing. when she's finally starting to get kind of sleepy. And that sounds to... so okay. late as we say it. We need to put them to bed earlier. No, they go to bed <laughs> so... at like 815, but they just don't go to sleep. Yeah, that's true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> so she like maybe could he say do his good night a little bit earlier before he goes to bed? Could the good night happen sometime earlier in his bedtime routine yes in his ritual i think it definitely can we just started two nights ago they have their bedtime routines where they both come downstairs Mm -hmm. and they notice that's what really like frustrates him the most because i mean we are well we finally get a chance to talk to each other after a long day and you know by 10 30 i'm like out like a light so we only have like an hour if that yeah yeah i mean no joke with the interruptions a half hour program that we try to watch takes an hour and a half honestly to get through I, probably because we're pausing because they come down and then oh i need water and it's just a right it's so a process. i also am aware and his doctor has told us when he gets up when he turns the lights on his brain wakes up again and now he's mm. got to start the whole going to sleep process again so i explained yeah. that whole situation to them and we have now the last two nights said you're not coming downstairs we're gonna say our whole good night routine before we go downstairs good for you that sounds good so we do the whole air kisses and catching the kisses in the air and dancing and whatever it is we do and then we come downstairs and, and for the last two nights it's worked out really well i think yeah okay, i knock mean, on wood immediately yes. right now <laughs> i think it works really well when there's status quo but my job keeps me away at night and so like the other night uh-huh. i came home at i don't know 10 maybe 9 30 and jacob our son had started this new program but he was waiting up for me 
to come up and say goodnight because oh. he has to say goodnight to me. Yeah, he has too. to have so, that nighttime. Unfortunately, I think it's a great strategy, but it's only going to be good, you know, on average three nights a week. Maybe we can have him call you. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Or text yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> having a plan or even some kids like a pre-recorded goodbye from their parent who can't be there at bedtime too. So having you perform the, the goodbye, you know, air kissing, catching stuff that you Oh, that you would be about. fun. There. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that can be a really nice thing for kids, too, who need that reassurance. Because really, like, that ritual is very soothing to a kiddo's nervous system, allows them to settle yeah. in and feel safe and secure. We've got a complete um, audio recording setup over here. We're going to do this, right? All right. I'm going to record it. that good night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's a good idea. Do it. Oh, that'd be fun. I like it. <laughs> good. And, I mean, and include your son in that, too. See if that works for him. You will get so much more mileage out of plans like this if they're included in making the plan too. You know, if they feel like their opinion matters to you and that they've kind of got ownership over the plan, even if you can like somehow sneak in ideas so that they think that they came <laughs> up with them, that's even better. <laughs> oh, that's really good stuff. I yeah, like that. That works on you too. It does. I know, right? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> hey, I know it does. The most successful bosses of me have figured that out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The ones that haven't been so successful dealing with me never figured that part out. <laughs> Believe me, I know my issues. I worry about them. I read about them. I just can't seem to fix them. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I try really hard, though. I do. I do try. I That's think there's all. probably room for recognizing how they've served you and the good parts in them. I found that parts of myself that I don't like very much tend to hang around. And that once I start being more kind to them, then they can kind of have a little bit more room to shift and change and help me and, you know, in different ways channel them for good right i like yeah. that you're giving me all kinds of great ideas for my other podcast too this is really good stuff so oh, good i think as we found out through this short you know half hour i need all the help i can get <laughs> we all do and i gosh that's the thing like there's no such thing as a perfect parent and research actually shows that we shouldn't even try overwhelming research on child development and parenting is that good enough parenting is right where it's at the sweet spot because it's filled with warm and love and acceptance of our kids and enough ruptures and repairs to build healthy, resilient relationships, kids that know how to handle the ups and downs of life. So good enough parenting is the best thing you can be shooting for. Does that also translate to relationships? Can I just be good enough? Is that all right? Can I just be good enough? Please. I, I tell you all the time that you're more than good enough. <laughs> I try the best I can. That you're fine. I mean, you are my I, guy. You're my dream guy. And you know that. Oh, boy. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, that's so sweet, though. But, you know, really, though, that sense of enoughness, that's got to come from within. Yeah, we got to believe does. that it's so much about ourselves before we can believe it about others and offer it to others. Wow, right. that is good. I can't top that. I think that's a good place to wrap up <laughs> because I know that both of us, I mean, we could spend a whole other two hours on that. <laughs> both of us struggle with feeling enough for ourselves. Right. Mm. Very much so. So yeah, that, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to open okay. another can of worms. <laughs> okay. Well, just one thing to consider on yes. that, just as a closing considering, you believe your kids were born whole and worthy just as they are, right? Of worthy course. of love and compassion. Yes. Absolutely. Weren't you also a baby who was born that way? Hmm, that's true. Yeah. It doesn't go away. That's, it's always there. The funny part is our okay. faith should tell us that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we should. don't listen to it, do we? It should. No, we don't as much as we should. You're right. <laughs> well, oh, okay. thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully our kids will appreciate the new strategies that we will carry forward or at least really try hard. 
Well, I think the key here for all the listeners to recognize is, think about it, recognize there may be an issue. I know my faults as a parent. I think about them all the time. And I always try to fix them and I just can't. And so that's why, you know, not only did I want to have you on for other reasons and just kind of share the podcast love, but also because, you know, I need help. I need as much help as I can get. And I listen to all kinds of things. And like I said, I talk my way through it on my other podcasts and with anybody who will listen. And so I think it's important to recognize you have some challenges and seek out help. Uh, Mental health is so important. Absolutely. And there's so much out there. There's so much good help available too. You know, none of us are in this alone. So thank you so much for having me. I really had fun with you. Oh, good. Yes, thank I, you so much for coming. Yes. All right. Thank, <laughs> thank you, doctor. Thank you so much. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review. That really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, That's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.